there's a voice here and you know her. She's been here before and um, she has a word. You, you know you got a word when you call the pastor and say, I got a word. That's bold stuff, Jack. When you, no, but she's a trusted voice. I trust her. She's actually, I believe, I know a prophet in the house. Um, and so we're going to receive her. Can you stand with me one more time? Because we celebrate everybody here, especially our own. And let's welcome to the desk, to the stage, to the platform, the Holy Writ, the sacred desk. I believe she has something to say. I really do. Come on, Prophet Anissa Sargent. Come on. Oh, come on here. Reggie and Pastor London, thank you so much for trusting me to speak into the lives of the people that God has trusted you with. Um, Pastor London, happy Mother's Day again. You look so beautiful today. Amen. Amen. Um, And happy Mother's Day to all the mothers and all the women in the room. And of course, I have to acknowledge my awesome, wonderful husband. two wonderful children. He really gave me above all I could ask, think, or imagine. And we're actually celebrating 13 years of marriage tomorrow. Amen, amen, amen. So, um, I do believe that God has given me something today to share with you all. And it's funny how God works because I know without a shadow of a doubt that what happened prior to service starting was a move of God. And, and you know God is up to something when he gives multiple people the same words. Amen. And, and I'm going to release a decree at the end of my message today. And a small part of that decree says verbatim for wombs to be open. Amen. And the Bible says, let every word be established in the mouth of two or three witnesses. Hallelujah. So I believe that that is God's will today. So this message is primarily geared for the women today, but men, you could get in where you fit in, all right? So I want to look at that word mother. When the word mother is used as a noun, it means a woman in relation to a child or child that she has given birth to. But I want to take a look at the word mother when it's used as a verb. And there's three three things that I want to uh, look at. That definition is to bring up with care and affection, to look after protectively, and to give birth to. So given those three definitions today, I'm going to be talking about the woman as a nurturer, the woman as a warrior, and the woman as a vessel. Amen? So we'll start with number one, to bring up with care and affection. This is the woman as a nurturer. And I'm going to spend probably a little bit more time on this point than the others because I really have a lot to say where this is concerned. So let's break down that word nurture. It means to encourage, promote, stimulate, develop, foster, 
cultivate, boost, contribute to, assist, help, strengthen, and fuel. So before I give you some scriptures and verses today, I want to talk about what nurturing is and what nurturing is not. So we're going to start with what nurturing is not first. Nurturing is not enabling poor behavior and decisions and interpreting it as love. When we enable, okay, I'll say it again, hold on. (laughs) Nurturing is not enabling poor behavior and decisions and interpreting it as love. Mm -hmm. So when we enable our children, we might as well inject a spirit of entitlement into them. Come on. This turns into a systemic problem that infiltrates into our communities and into our schools. And I'm not talking about what I heard, I'm talking about what I know. Okay? This also manifests, so enabling our children, also manifests through children not respecting authority. So school teachers, police officers, adults in general, and ultimately you as their parent. Enabling children also manifests in them being lazy and complacent and not understanding the principles of an honest and hard work ethic. So instead of discipline and hard work to achieve goals, they look for handouts and shortcuts. And ultimately, when we make excuses for our children by enabling them, they become adults who make excuses for themselves. So enabling our children essentially makes us lenient parents. My best friend and I were chatting about this over over Gchat, and she actually gave me this point, and I told her I was going to steal it. And so being a lenient parent is like being a lenient doctor, police officer, or personal trainer. It does not yield the right results. Amen? And on your own steady time, you can look up the story of Eli in 1 Samuel to give you an example of what happens when we become an enabling or a lenient parent. All right, so that was all under nurturing is not enabling our children and interpreting it as love, okay? So the second thing that nurturing is not is being friends with your children when you need to be their parent. Come on! So, don't get me wrong, it's okay to laugh and have fun with your children and enjoy your children. But listen, you cross the line and you do damage when you view your children as your companion or as your peer. You cannot be afraid of your children being upset with you or temporarily not liking you as a result of disciplining them. Hmm. Come on. Yeah, I'm just going to say this because it's the truth. See, it's all cute until you can't control them in public anymore. It's all fun and games until the teacher, hello, is calling your house every day. Right? And we don't worry about it until we find them in the back of a squad car. Now, I know this is hard, and, and the whole message isn't going to be like this, I promise. I know this is rough this morning, but, but when we enable our children, we cripple them. And we don't prepare them for life. And the third thing that nurturing is not is a weakness. So historically, nurturing has been 
interpret it as being affectionate only. And yes, being affectionate is a part of being nurturing. That's just not the part I'm going to talk about today. Okay? It's, it's just not. So here is what nurturing is or what nurturing does. Nurturing provides clear boundaries, instructions and structures, and accountability for children because you love them. Nurturing is being a loving parent or caregiver while being firm and no-nonsense. And nurturing provides safety and security for your children. All right, so let's take a look at Proverbs chapter 1, starting at verse 8. And uh, we'll just do 8 and 9. And all my scriptures are going to be in the NLT um, today, except for one, but I'll tell you when I get there. So Proverbs um, chapter 1, starting at verse 8. How do I, oh, okay, great. All right, my children, listen when your father corrects you. Don't neglect your mother's instruction. What you learn from them will crown you with grace and be a chain of honor around your neck. Women, ladies, we are our children's instructors. Amen? So an example, a quick example of this that we can look at is King Lemuel's mother in Proverbs 31. So we always uh, traditionally look at Proverbs 31, the, uh, you know, the 31 woman and all of that, and that's great. But what we need, we need to back up all the way to verse 1. Because these wise sayings, these wise teachings came from who? His mother. Verse 1 says the sayings of King Lemuel in Proverbs 31 contain this message, which his mother taught him. Women, what are you teaching your children? We nurture our children by giving them instruction. So this scripture was already mentioned earlier today, but Proverbs 22 and 6. Let's take another look at that. It says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Hear me. We have a mandate To train our children to be citizens and soldiers in the kingdom of God in a godless culture. Yeah, yeah, come on. Train means to develop the habits, thoughts, or behaviors of a person by intentional discipline and instruction. And so this puts me in the mind of a soldier who goes to boot camp. So my husband was in the military, so I asked him about, you know, how it was when he first, you know, went to boot camp. And basically, from the time you get on the bus, they're yelling at you, they're screaming at you, they control everything. They control what you eat, when you eat, they control who you talk to, how long you talk to them, and then they take you through a series of drills and protocols. And this is for the purpose for the purpose of stripping you of the ideals, the attitudes, the lack of discipline, the lack of endurance that you showed up with to impart into you the necessary skill to defend our country. Parents, we are our children's drill sergeant. We have to strip them of the attitudes, the ideals, the lack of endurance, the lack of discipline that this world shows them. And we have to impart into them by putting them in spiritual boot camp. Why? Because we are bringing them on one accord with the remnant of believers who are prepared to wrestle not against flesh and blood. 
not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, against the rulers of darkness and spiritual wickedness in high places. See, because yes, we need to do, we need to train our children in the natural as well. So they need to know how to navigate life. They need to know how to navigate a bank account. They need to know how to, you know, own a business, have a job and be successful and this and that. Those things are absolutely necessary. But can they see a demon? Can they cast one out? Can they get a prayer through? When you on your sick bed, can they lay hands on you and say, rise up? And that's only going to happen if we put our children through spiritual boot camp. So there are two examples, two areas rather, that I feel most people are unprepared for. And that's marriage and parenting. And, and some of it is not our own fault. A lot of it has to do with lack of training, right? We didn't see good examples. We didn't see it modeled. Or if we did have it, it wasn't modeled well, and so on and so forth, okay? And here's the beautiful thing about God. I said earlier that he's sovereign. God is a redeemer of time. And he can restore anything, and he can heal anything, and he can fix anything. I mean, even between Charles and I, we're constantly evolving. We're not the same people we were when we got married when we were 22, We've been through a lot of ups and downs and valleys and hills and, you know. <laughs> All right. Back to the message. <laughs> but listen, if we are going to dismantle the systemic issues of fatherless homes, broken families, and rebellious children who become rebellious adults, we have to drive out foolishness from our children and even in ourselves. So I just want to share with you really quickly three basic examples that Charles and I use with our children in terms of training, training them up spiritually. And this, these are things, simple things that anybody can do. So from the time that both of our children were born, we play the Bible in their rooms when they go to sleep. And so for nine years, little Charles has heard the word over and over and over and over and over again. And I, I can guarantee he knows the Old Testament better than I do. I'm still trying to get him to, you know, listen to more of the New Testament, but he likes the Old Testament because it has more action. <laughs> but... And even with Emmanuel, he's a baby. He's only seven months old. But from the time he was born, he's been hearing the word every single night as he falls asleep. And, and here's the thing. The spirit is ageless. The spirit is ageless. The Bible says that I have hidden your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. Faith come by hearing and hearing come by the word of God. So I'm planting seeds, continuous seeds of the word of God in my children and I expect a return. So the second thing that we do with our children is we do daily confessions. And so I don't read from a script or anything. It's usually just whatever, you know, comes to my mind at that time. So I am a child of God. He loves me and I love him. I make godly decisions. I am the head and not the tail. God loves me. Okay, and so he repeats after me or he repeats after his father. And now it's to the point where if I forget, he'll be like, Mommy, um, I am a child of God. And now I, then I'm repeating after him. <laughs> and then the last thing that we are doing, and we're being very intentional about this, is we are training our sons to be married 
and we are training them to be fathers. And, and the way that we do this is I'm always talking futuristically with, with little Charles. I'm always saying things like, well, when you get married, you need to hold the door for me because you, you need to hold the door for your wife. And he's caught on to it. He's caught on to it and it reflects in his language. The other day I had left my wedding ring out and I asked him to go put it in my jewelry box. And he, he's walking upstairs and then he, he looks at it and he says, mom, can I give this to my wife when I get older? And I said, sure, son, as long as your dad upgrades me. (laughs) But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Sometimes it breaks my heart that there are so many men and women who desire to be married. And it just hasn't come to pass yet. And yes, you're believing God and you're holding on. But here's the thing. We have to talk about the truth of the matter. If we were training our sons and daughters to be husbands and wives, we wouldn't have this problem. And so I'm teaching my son now. I'm teaching him now that charm is deceitful and beauty fades away. But a woman who fears the Lord will be praised. I'm teaching them what to look for, how to see it, how to identify it. I believe, the re- I believe a big reason why Charles and I got married at 22. I mean, 22, that is, that's young, y'all, to be married, okay? We got married eight days after I graduated college. But I believe one of the reasons why he was ready and wanted to be married is because that's what he saw his entire life. Charles would have married me when we was 18 if I would have said yes. I mean, he's, he's, he's wanted to be married, always wanted to be married. And and here's the thing. I was having a conversation about this with, with someone before and they're like, well, it sounds to me like you're brainwashing, you know, your children. Yes. Yes, I am. I'm washing the world out of their brain and washing their brain with the water of the world. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So women, as nurturers, we intentionally shape who people become. We bridge the gap between potential and manifested destiny. By being the nurturers that God intended for us to be. Amen? All right, so let's move on to the second one, number two. This is to look after protectively. And this is the woman as a warrior. And I was thinking about myself when I was um, doing this point, and I said, you know, I admit that I have, overall, I have a quiet personality. Unless, you know, you really know me. That's when my silliness and that kind of stuff comes out. And, you know, although I have a quiet personality, I don't play. And you will see the lamb turn into the lion real quick if you mess with my husband or my children. Okay? But what God, God spoke to me, he said, you know, you're quick to take that aggressive stance with people, but why don't you do that with the devil? I said, oh, okay. And so I want to look at Genesis chapter 3 and verse 13 through 15. And so 13 and 14 are basically God is asking the woman, you know, what have you done? The woman blames the serpent, you know, and then God curses the serpent, okay? 
So let's get back. Let's go down to verse 15. It says, and I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. And see, we know that the offspring here that that God is talking about is Jesus, right? And so Christ, yes, he was wounded on the cross, but he was the victor. Amen. And he rendered the devil a defeated foe. And for that, the enemy hates us. Women, have you ever noticed that we just have really high discernment? I mean, I know about you, but, you know, I just, I just think that women have better discernment than men. Sorry, men, no shade, but I just think we have better discernment. But the reason why I think our discernment is so keen is because we had a conversation with the devil. We know what he looks like. We know what he sounds like. We know what he acts like. See, we, the, you see the verse right there that there's hostility between us and the devil. We were built to wage war against the enemy. Waging war is all about strategy. So let's look at that word protect. So a part of that definition uh, that I gave you was to look after protectively. So the woman as a warrior. So protect means keep safe from harm or injury. Aim to preserve. And I love this last one. This last one is restrict access to. Have you ever been walking in the mall or driving past the gate or something like that and you see a restricted access sign? That sign lets you know that you can't go any further. And so what I'm posing to us today, women, is that we have to get our restricted access signs back up. You coming against my marriage? What man has put together, what God has put together, let no man put asunder. Restricted access. You coming against my children? Mm Mm-mm. My children are taught of the Lord. They obey their parents and they have long life. Restricted access. You're trying to get me with discouragement? Not going to work because I put my hope in the everlasting God. You're trying to mess with my money? Oh, really? I have never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. Restricted access, devil. So I want to give you two examples of women who I feel were very strategic about their restricted access signs. Okay? So the first one is Rahab. And she's in Joshua chapter 2. And I believe her strategy to be a little bit more on the offensive side. So I'm going to talk about like offensive and defensive in just a minute. And basically starting at verse 8. So you know the story. She hid the two spies up on the roof when they were scouting the land. And before they went to sleep that night. See, she got her plan together. I get them before they go to sleep. She says she went up on the rooftop to talk with them. And so verses 9 through 11, it kind of tickled me because she's really like stroking their ego when you read these verses. So it says, I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We are all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror. For we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know what you did to Sion and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above all the earth. Now, here's what I need you to do for me. It's basically what she said in the next verse. 
Now swear to me by the Lord that you will be kind to me and my family since I have helped you. Give me some guarantee that when Jericho is conquered, you will let me live along with my father, my mother, my brothers, and sisters, and all of their families. See, Rahab had that strategy down. She knew what she was doing when she went up to that roof and talked to them. Amen. And get this, get this. Not only did she preserve herself and her family, but she preserved the lineage of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. So our second example that I'm going to give you is Esther. Esther, in the book of Esther, chapter 4, starting at verse 13. And so to me, this is more of a defensive strategy, in my opinion. And so basically, starting at verse 13, her cousin um, comes to her, and this is basically after the decree has went out to kill all of the Jews in the land. And it says, Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you are in the palace that you will escape when all the other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place. But you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made to be queen for such a time as this? Who knows if you were made to put up restricted access signs to preserve the Jewish nation? Verse 15. See, you know, I believe, you know, there may be a little space between verse 14 and 15. She had to get her thoughts together and come up with her plan. So here we see the plan. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. And then, though it is against the law, I will go in and see the king. And if I die, I must die. The King James says it like if I perish, I perish. Rahab and Esther were some bout it women. They got that strategy together and they executed it. And it wasn't just for themselves, but they saved nations, generations. Women, we are called to preserve generations. We are called to leave imprints for years and years to come. Hallelujah. These women knew what it, under, what it meant to protect Women, we are warriors. Now, there's something called offensive and defensive strategies, okay? And so you offensively protect your family by being proactive in watching everything that concerns your household. So Proverbs 31, 27 says she carefully watches everything in her household and suffers nothing from laziness. See, my husband, my husband loves everybody. Y'all, y'all know, after church, he frolicking around, talking to everybody, you know, and I'm, you know, ready to go <laughs> most of the time. And, and my husband sees the good in everybody. He, he assumes the best in everybody. And he's a good balance to me because I'm kind of the opposite. Because I got one eye open at all times. But we balance each other out, okay? Because there's not a demon under every rock, but not everybody is out for your good. There's truth to it on both sides. Amen? And so when you are on the offense, you are fighting first. 
And so doing this protects your loved ones. So every time you speak the word, every time you pray the word, every time you are saturating yourself with the word by coming to church and coming to small group, every time you send your kids to children's church and drop them off at at Ignite, you are putting up restricted access signs all over them. So when you're on the offense, you fight first. But when you're on the defense, you fight back. And I want to stay here just for for a minute because it's during the fight back that I believe the enemy uses one of his greatest tactics. And that is the art of wearing you down. See, the enemy simply wants you to get tired. He wants you to give up before the battle is over. But the battle is not over until the victory is won. And see, Christ gave us the victory on the cross. We know that. So we know that we have the victory in the heavenlies, but we need it to manifest here on earth. Amen? And we do that by using our offensive and defensive strategies. So so here's the bottom line with this that I want to leave you. It's not personal, it's potential. See, I know it feels very personal when you're under attack. When all hell has broke loose in your house, women. I know it feels very, very personal. See, but the enemy is more concerned about who you will become versus who you are right now. And he will do whatever it takes to stop that from happening. Moreover, he is concerned about the deliverance, the deliverance and the destinies of the people that are locked up inside of you. The people that you're assigned to touch. The people that you're assigned to minister to. The people that you're assigned to break bread with. To win over for the Lord. And see, we see some very clear examples of this in the Bible. So three of the most famous ones to me are Moses and Jesus when they're babies. And the decree has gone out to kill all the babies. Okay, we see this again with Joseph in the Old Testament when he's a teenager and he's sold into slavery and a series of events happen to break his spirit or try to break his spirit. And then we see this again, of course, with Jesus as an adult in the wilderness, in the Garden of Gethsemane, and ultimately he tried it on the cross. But he's the victor. Amen. And see, when we get the revelation that it's not personal, it's not potential, then our mission becomes different. Our fight back becomes different because we realize that, yes, I do want to save myself. Yes, I do want to save my household. But I have a responsibility to get out what I have in me to the world. And I can't let the enemy take that from me. So the scripture that I want to give you, just to encourage you, ladies, if you're on the offense, defense, or a little bit of both, is um, Isaiah 40, 28 through 31. And Serena posted this on Facebook. And I said, oh, that's the perfect scripture. And so it says, have you never heard? Have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youths will become weak and tired and young men will fall in exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Women, we cannot give up. 
We cannot give up. We have to go through the, to the throne of grace with boldness and say, Lord, download the strategy. Give me the strategy to avenge. Give me the strategy to win. Hallelujah. We are warriors, women. And so the last one, number three, is to give birth to. This is the woman as a vessel. And so birth means to bear, produce, be delivered of, bring fruit, bring into the world. And a vessel is a hollow container often used to dispense, uh, hold and dispense things, okay? And so 2 Timothy says, but in a, this is King James, 2 Timothy 20 and 21. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself of these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. And so an example in the Bible of a woman who I believe was a vessel is Mary, the mother of Jesus. And so when we take a look at Luke chapter 1, verses 28 through 38, I'm not going to read all of them, but basically until we get to verse 38, You know, you know the story. Gabriel came to her and said, hey, you are favored. God loves you. Guess what? You're going to have a baby. And she's like, what? Me? Okay. And she's a little confused because she knows that she hasn't done what you need to do to have a baby. So she's like, "Uh, I got a question about that. And so Gabriel answers her question and basically tells her that the Holy Ghost is going to come upon her. God is going to overshadow her. And he tells her that, that her son will be named Jesus and that his, his kingdom is going to be established on the earth. And he's going to reign forever. And, and so when you jump down to verse 38, after hearing all of this, and even hearing how her, her cousin Elizabeth, who was barren, is now pregnant. After hearing all of this, she says, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. Mary allowed herself to be a vessel. And so the question that I have for you today, ladies, is what is in your vessel that needs to be poured out into the world? So we we are carriers, women. We are carriers. We're the ones that get pregnant. We're the ones that carry the baby. We're the ones that birth him or her out, okay? Every pregnancy is different. But regardless of what your story is, regardless of where you find yourself on your journey, that doesn't negate the fact that all women are birthing vessels. By design, God made you to get pregnant, carry the baby, birth him or her out. You were created to bring life into the world. Therefore, we must be very careful about the seeds we allow to be planted inside of us. I'm going to leave, I'm going to leave that right. I'm just going to, so, so spiritually speaking, some of y'all need to catch that in the natural too, but spiritually speaking, spiritually speaking, when we allow seeds of low self-esteem, rejection, abandonment, doubt, insecurities, jealousy, hate, and the like, when we allow those things to take root in us, we end up birthing destructive behaviors and relationships. And so we have to get our soil right, ladies. If we want to be vessels unto God, we have to make ourselves good ground. Hallelujah. Now, I know this is a message for the women, but I need to say something to the men right here. 
So if women are to be good ground, then my question to the men is, what kind of farmer are you? Do you know what type of soil you are looking for? Can you identify good soil? Do you have the right seeds to plant in the soil once you get it? Do you know how to till the ground and how to water those seeds until you get the harvest? And then when the harvest comes, what are you going to do with it? See, we all have a responsibility in this thing. We all have a responsibility in this thing. Amen? All right, man. That was it. So, So the bottom line is that it is God's will for us to be vessels that birth his plan into the earth through the children we train and through the gifts and talents that we have inside of us. God built us as vessels so he could pour himself out in the world through us. Amen? So... So as I close, here's, here's what I want to leave you with. God was very intentional when he made us, and he doesn't make mistakes. He gave each of us unique gifts and talents to contribute. He built us as nurturers, as warriors, and as vessels, women, to bring his will to path on this earth. Amen? And so I started with telling you that, that God gave me a, a something to decree and declare. So as I go to my seat, I'm just going to speak that over all the women um, today before I sit down. So if you are a woman, stand up, including the young women, girls as well. And we're just going to speak it into the atmosphere because we know that there is power in the tongue, the power of death and life is in our tongue, and we will have the fruit of what we say. Amen? So I decree and declare that every... Oh, thank you. All right, amen. Is it on? Oh, okay. I decree and declare that every woman, under the sound of my voice, is the nurturer, the warrior, and the vessel that God has created us to be. I release wisdom, strategy, and resources upon us now to nurture and train up our children and other people's children in the way that they should go. And we will see the fruits of our labor. I release the warrior in us to wage war against the enemy, to pursue him and not stop until we recover all for our families, ourselves, and the deliverance and destinies of the people connected to us. I decree and declare that it is not too late and that God is a redeemer of time. And in the name of Jesus, I pull up and I root out every seed of the enemy that has been planted in our lives. And I decree and declare that we are righteous vessels and good ground. And that the seed of the fruit of the spirit is planted in us, takes root and grows in abundance in our lives. And I bind up and I destroy and I come into agreement with the pastors that were up here earlier that every plan of the enemy to miscarry, abort, or give away what we carry on the inside of us. It is destroyed and dismantled in the name of Jesus. And I loose a birthing spirit to come upon us now. And I command spiritual and even natural wombs to be open to birth God's plan in our lives and in the earth. We are nurturers, we are warriors, and we are vessels unto God. In Jesus' name, let it be established. Amen. Amen. Amen.